Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents his teaching, Is COVID-19 a Sign of the End Times? All right, praise the Lord. This morning, we're going to talk a little bit about end times. Now, I want to preface this by saying that I am comfortable teaching on end times because when I was the director of our Bible school, in Louisiana, I taught Revelation Revealed for the last seven years of my tenure there at uh, Word of Life School of Ministry. So I'm comfortable teaching on the topic, but I will tell you up front, I do not have all the answers. Amen. I can just uh, tell you the things that I have learned, the revelation that I have received. So this morning, we're going to ask the question, is COVID-19 a sign of the end times? Is COVID-19 a sign of the end times? So let me begin by saying that in the 47 years of my Christian life, I have observed on many occasions where some worldwide traumatic event or some set of circumstances has triggered believers into attaching end times significance to that event or to that set of circumstances. And these events were almost always accompanied by a spirit of fear that seemed to dominate everyone, including the Christians of the world, sad to say. I can think of numerous examples, but for the sake of time, I'm only going to share a few. Amen? These are ones that I'm intimately familiar with. First of all, going way back, back in the day, I want to talk about Soviet communism. Soviet communism. When I was a teenager and new in the Lord, I became fascinated by end times teachers and preachers who were convinced that the Soviet Union would be the vehicle that the Antichrist would use to usher in the one world government. He would use Russia and the USSR, the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, say that five times real quick, to spread communism all over the world and prophecy would be fulfilled. It was in all the books, it was in all the seminars, and everyone was convinced that the end was near, and that we Christians would soon beam out of here in the rapture of the church. Well, 30 years later, the church is still here, and the Soviet Union is not. After 70 years of attempting to rule the world, the Soviet Union the USSR crumbled under its own weight in a few short weeks. And just like that, the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, which seemed so dominant, so threatening, and so unstoppable, simply ceased to exist. And now Russia has been relegated to a regional power, and the new rising threat is China. It is the greatest threat, in my view, to the Western world, to our Christian faith, and our Christian values. But if God could deal with the Soviet Union back then, He can deal with communist China today, amen? All right, let's talk about 88 reasons why the rapture could be in 1988. Let's talk about 88 reasons why the rapture could be in 1988. Now, some of you young pups, that means nothing to you. But I'm going to enlighten you. 
1988, the World Bible Society published a book called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Could Be in 1988. They printed 3.2 million copies and distributed 200,000 copies to the pastors of America. And it pains me to say this, because y'all know I'm a rocket guy, I'm an engineer. It pains me to say this, but the author was a former NASA rocket engineer. His name was Edgar Wisenant. And I remember when that book came out and it took the body of Christ by storm. Some were in fear because they felt like that means the Antichrist is coming. And others were jubilant because that means I'm going to be jetted out of here. I'm going up in the rapture. And I mean, we had people in the church we were attending at the time who read the book, then went out and bought houses and cars that they knew they couldn't pay off. After all, they thought, we're beaming out of here before the first payment is due. How many know this was extremely foolish? Now, I was a Bible teacher in that church, and a lot of people looked up to me and would ask me for spiritual advice from time to time. So they came to me and they said, what do you think about this book? 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. And I would say, first of all, I haven't read the book. But I have read the book that says no man knows the hour or the day of the Lord's return. That's Matthew 24, 36. Because this guy had predicted that the rapture would occur between September 11th and September 13th, Rosh Hashanah on the Jewish calendar of 1988. Secondly, I would say to them, I have no witness in my spirit that anything like this is going to happen. In John 16, 13, John says the Holy Spirit will show you things to come. You think I'd know it if we were about to be beamed out of here. Now, I want to qualify what I'm saying when I say that. I happen to believe that if we're around when the rapture occurs, we may not know the day, we may not know the hour, but we will certainly know the season. We will know something's afoot. God is about to do something mighty in the earth. And I told them, I do not get that feeling, therefore I do not think it is the truth. And they thought I was nuts. But they got all those loans... And I didn't. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's talk about Y2K. The year 2000. I remember when the year 2000, the Y2K panic overtook the world. It was ridiculous. All because people started writing and talking about how the computers of the world had not anticipated the 21st century and didn't know how to handle dates after 1999. How short-sighted of them. But hardly the apocalypse. But there were people that were predicting worldwide commerce would be disrupted, banking systems would fail, and economic chaos would ensue. And all this instability would allow the Antichrist to reveal himself, consolidate his power, and set up a one world government. Now let me get on my soapbox for just a second. I still don't believe Antichrist will ever be able to set up a one world government. Every time he's tried he has flopped. 
And the seven-year tribulation will be no exception, in my opinion. It'll be the biggest flop of all times. He'll try. He'll maybe almost do it, but he won't do it. There'll be people like you and me that'll stand up and oppose him. Amen? All right, off my soapbox. But the thing that disappointed me the most about this whole issue of Y2K was that Christians seem to be leading the charge with this overstated fear-mongering. It was pathetic. I remember seeing a magazine that summed it up pretty well. On the cover of the magazine, there was a guy with a rifle sitting on a crate in a cellar with dried food and ammunition packed all behind him. And the title said, The Victorious Church. What a statement. You're hiding in the basement when you should be preaching the gospel to the world. Even if you did believe he's going to come and get you. Get as many saved before he does as you can. Amen. All right, I'm getting all jazzed up this morning. And again, people would come to me in a panic and ask me what I thought about Y2K and its implications to Bible prophecy and end times. And again, I would say, I don't have a witness in my spirit that Y2K is going to be a problem at all. As Shakespeare would say, it's much ado about nothing. I said the computer geeks of the world will figure this out. I have confidence in them. And Antichrist is not taking over. All right, lastly, the rise of ISIS. When ISIS was on the rise, I had two former youth leaders of mine that Trisha and I had known when we were youth pastors in the 90s. And we mentored these young men. We raised them up in the faith. And they called me, and they were convinced that the terrorist threat posed by ISIS was the vehicle the Antichrist would use to consolidate his power, and guess what? Set up the one world government, which I get so tired of hearing about. They would rise to power, and Christians all over the world would get their heads cut off for their faith. And there were prophecy teachers and preachers who got in on the act, too. And it was in their books and in their seminars. But even when ISIS was at its peak, this is what I told them. I said, ISIS will not be a lasting threat and will join all the other world domination movements on the ash heap of history. I used those exact words. They thought I was nuts again. But I knew in my spirit that it was not time that Antichrist would have his day, but it was much too soon. And today, ISIS is just a shell of its former self, having been decimated by President Trump's hardline stance against them. Can you say amen to that? Sadly, these examples illustrate two things to me. Number one, I have been reminded time and time again over the years just how easily people can be manipulated by fear including many Christians. Number two, many Christians have a tendency to attach immediate end-time significance to events and circumstances that don't necessarily have immediate end-time significance. And that brings us to COVID-19. 
Of all the examples I could share, and I have more, I can't think of one that can hold a candle to the level of fear-mongering, misinformation, and government power grabs associated with the COVID-19 virus crisis. And the thing that concerns me the most is how quickly people, even Christian people, have been willing to give up their God-given constitutional rights for a measure of peace and security. Now, I'm not saying that COVID-19 is not real and deadly for a small percentage of our population and that we shouldn't do everything in our power as a nation and as the people of God to eradicate this virus. I'm very hardcore about that. But I am saying that far too many people are living in fear because they believe everything they see and hear from our news media and from the so-called medical experts. How about listening to the Holy Spirit every once in a while? What is he saying about COVID-19? I'll tell you what he's saying about it right now. It came to pass, and it has passed. So what's going on here? Why have things been so blown out of proportion concerning this virus? Well, I think Ephesians 2, verse 1 and 2, give us part of the answer. You thought I'd never get to Scripture. You say, Brother Scott, you always overload us with Scriptures. You've gone like for... 15 minutes and haven't mentioned a single scripture. Well, you're going to get some starting now. Ephesians 2, verse 1 and 2 in the New King James Version. Once again, Ephesians 2, verse 1 and 2 in the New King James Version. This is talking about what God did for us through Jesus Christ. And you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. In which you once walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Now, Paul here is talking about the spirit of the Antichrist, which was already at work in the world, in the lives of unbelievers over 1900 years ago. And if that spirit was working back then in the lives of unbelievers, how much more is it working today in the lives of the world? Amen. And that spirit, that antichrist spirit stands opposed to everything that is right, everything that is godly, and everything that is Christ-like in this world. Amen? That's why they call it the spirit of antichrist. It means opposed to or against Christ. Now I want to clarify something because some people might get confused about this. There is the spirit of antichrist. And then there is the person, the Antichrist, who will manifest in that seven-year tribulation period after the rapture of the church. Okay? He will be inhabited by the spirit of the Antichrist. He will be inhabited by the devil himself. So make a distinction between the Antichrist, who is coming one day soon, and the spirit of Antichrist that's already at work preparing people for his coming. All right. Praise the Lord. 1 John 4.3, 1 John 4.3, New King James Version. More about the Antichrist, this time from Brother John. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Listen to what I'm saying here. 
If you don't realize that the Spirit has been hard at work to suppress and silence the churches of America, you are naive and you're not listening to the Holy Spirit. I'll say it again. If you don't realize that that Antichrist spirit has been hard at work to suppress and silence the churches of America. You're not paying attention. Amen? Earlier in his letter there, the Apostle John says in chapter 2, verse 18, that we know we're in the end times because the spirit of Antichrist is at work. So even in John and Paul and Peter's day, the spirit of Antichrist was at work. And they consider themselves, therefore, to be in the end times. So if they were in the end times, I think you could say they were in the beginning of the end times. 1900 years later, we're surely in the end of the end times, right? We're getting a little closer than they were. And the Antichrist is really at work in the world today. It's everywhere. You know, sometimes I wonder, and I asked the Lord one, one time years ago, how is it that people can believe the things that they believe. It's so illogical. They think it's scientific, but it's not scientific at all. How can people believe this dribble? Hook, line, and sinker. And the Lord said to me, because they're drunk on the spirit of this age, that antichrist spirit, it has clouded their thinking, so they believe a lie. All right. So if Antichrist is at work now in the children of disobedience, so in that sense, I guess we have a general answer to the question, is COVID-19 a sign of the end times? I would say yes, but I would say no more so than any of the other pestilences, famines, or earthquakes that Jesus prophesied about in Matthew chapter 24. Yes, it is a sign of the end times, but no more so than any of the other signs. And we're going to read from Matthew 24 here in just a minute. But the reaction, this is what I learned here from COVID-19. It's not so much that it was a sign, one of many, but it was a significant sign in this respect. The reaction to the COVID-19 virus and the manipulation and the power plays that have resulted from it have revealed more than any single event I can think of just how ominously and just how pervasively the spirit of Antichrist is at work in the children of this current age. It revealed that to us in the most stark terms because people were really willing to literally strip themselves of their liberties and their freedom and their privacy. Just for a chance maybe not to get COVID-19. And they get frightened by death rate predictions. Here's one for you. How about this? How about thinking about this, human being? The death rate for human beings is 100%. So which are you more afraid of? Getting COVID-19 or dying one day and facing a just God? Which one should you be concentrating on more? Amen? You need Jesus. If you're that afraid, you need Jesus. I hope my normally genteel personality <laughs> has not been betrayed by this rare moment of passion on this subject. 
That spirit of Antichrist, listen, this is the way the Lord showed to me. It is lurking beneath the surface of our society and of our world, just waiting for the right time, just waiting for the right opportunity to manifest and usher in the age of the Antichrist. But you know what? There are other scriptures I don't have time to go into today that say that the church is a restraining force against that spirit. And as long as we're here on the earth, we will push back that spirit of Antichrist. We will push back, we will push back, and we will continue to say, it's not your time, and I believe it's not going to be his time until we as the church are out of here and we're no longer the restraining force. Then and only then will Antichrist be able to reveal himself, consolidate his power, and try to form a one world government. Praise the Lord. I know this is heavy, but it's heavy good, right? I feel like Doc Brown. Is there some kind of gravitational disturbance in the 1980s? You keep talking about things being heavy, you know. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right. We'll wrap this up by talking about the Olivet Discourse. This is uh, a term that theologians use to describe the prophecies that went forth from Jesus on the Mount of Olives the week before he was crucified. Now, Jesus was in Jerusalem for the Passover, the last week of his earthly life, and he and his disciples stayed in the village of Bethany, which is about a mile and a half away. They would spend their days in the uh, city of Jerusalem, and then they would travel back at night uh, to Bethany. On the occasion that we're going to read about, the disciples left the temple with Jesus and started their journey back to Bethany. And as they left, the disciples told the Lord how impressed they were by the beauty and the majesty of the buildings that comprised the temple. They were awesome, I understand. Herod's temple, they say, was even larger than Solomon's temple and in some ways even more magnificent. Matthew chapter 24, verse 1 through verse 14. New King James Version. Matthew chapter 24, verse 1. Reading through verse 14. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. So here Jesus prophesies the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, and it absolutely, don't you know, must have blown away his disciples. By the way, 37 years after he made this prophecy, the city of Jerusalem and the buildings of the temple were quite literally torn down stone by stone by the Roman general Titus and his armies. The city was completely sacked and leveled to the ground. Very, very sad. All right, verse 3. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, I want you to see, first of all, that the disciples asked three questions. When will these things be? And they meant, when will the temple be destroyed? Number two, what will be the sign of your coming? And number three, 
What will be the sign of the end of the age? And that's the one I want to concentrate on. What will be the sign of the end of the age? Amen. Stay with me. This is not too deep for you to get. Amen. What I also want you to see is that the disciples didn't really know what they were asking because they assumed that the destruction of the temple would signal the return of the Lord to set up his kingdom. And it was not so. He didn't have time to explain it to him. So nevertheless, in the rest of chapter 24, Jesus attempts to answer these three questions. But again, they, there were things that Jesus knew that his disciples didn't know. Number one, he knew his death and resurrection would usher in a new age. That is the church age, the age in which we now live. Number two, the current age in which they were living would soon come to an end with the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple of the Lord. They didn't know that. So I'm telling you right now, until they got filled with the Holy Spirit, there was no way they were going to understand the things he was about to tell them. Okay? So if you read chapter 24, and you want to get a head start on understanding that chapter and end times events that are described there, make sure you ask yourself the question, which of these three questions is he answering now? If you will ask yourself those questions, it'll open up the whole chapter to you. I said, I've been doing it for years, and it has opened up and given me revelation about Matthew 24 like no other facts I've ever been given concerning end times. Okay? So on your own, if you want to study Matthew 24, remember those three questions as you read through. Now, all right, which one is he answering here? Because he really hits them all. He tells them uh, what is in their near future, the destruction of Jerusalem. And he tells them what is, as a people of God, what is in their far future. And all points in between. He gets into the church age. I think he even hints about the rapture. And it's all in there. Praise the Lord. All right, without getting too deeper into end times, uh, I'll bring all this up because I have a point to make. So bear with me as we continue to read and see what we can learn, and see if we can bring it back around to our original question about COVID-19. Verse 4, And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Did you hear that? But the end is not yet, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Notice Jesus lists famines, pestilences, and earthquakes as the beginning of sorrows. Now, in the Greek... Those words are actually more accurately translated as birth pangs. Famines, pestilences, and earthquakes, Jesus said, are birth pangs. So listen, some of you women that have had babies, you know this. Uh, when you experience birth pangs and start having contractions, you know that the baby is coming soon. Amen? But normally, it'll still be a while before you give birth. I know some of the ladies that have had instamatic babies, you know, had a contraction and a half hour later the baby was born. But that is not the norm. 
Amen for that. So that's why Jesus tells his disciples that the time is not yet. The end of the age and my return is not as near as you think it is. Amen? So as I said before, I believe COVID-19 is just another pestilence to add to the list that Jesus prophesied about concerning the beginning of birth pangs. All right, so we may be further down the labor trail and closer to delivering a new baby and a new age than we were in Jesus' day, but it does not necessarily signal the imminent return of the Lord and the rise of the Antichrist. So if COVID-19 is not the sign, then what is, pray tell? Let's keep reading and see if we can find the answer. Verse 9, reading through verse 14. All right. I know it's hot in here. Endurance, everybody. We're almost done. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. Did you hear that? The gospel will be preached all over the world. And then the end will come. Bam. There it is. Plain as day. The answer to question number three is this. The number one sign of the imminent return of Christ in the end of the church age will be gospel preaching and revival all over the known world. And I'm here to tell you that has not happened yet. Think of it. There are more people alive on the planet today than all the ages of the earth combined put together. Seven billion people and growing live on this planet right now. It is the largest harvest field in the history of the world. And we haven't even begun to evangelize the harvest that those people represent. We got work to do. What a harvest field. And I believe that the numbers coming into the kingdom will not be measured in the millions, but in the billions. God's going to bring as many people into the kingdom as he possibly can. Then he's going to take us out of here and let the devil and the Antichrist have their moment of fame. But it won't last long. Seven earth years to be exact. And then we're coming back with Jesus to take over the planet. Amen. Riding on white horses, no less. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Is COVID-19 a sign of the end times? If this message has blessed you and you would like to contribute to our ministry, you can do so by donating on our website at gofaithlife.com. If you're in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 9.45 a.m. for coffee and fellowship and 10.30 for worship and service. If you would like to learn more about us and access more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.